Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Tuesday, July 20th. On today's show, the many roads to victory in professional sports and how variety is key. Before we get there, I will give you one reason why I believe gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. Tonight, game six of the NBA Finals. Uh, uh, A bittersweet moment. It could be the end of all major sports, in my opinion, that I love. Uh, And then we have the very dark months ahead leading into football season where there's nothing to gamble on except regular season baseball, which, yeah, I will do, but I won't love myself for doing it. Tonight, I'm already got the gambling card. It's it's chock full and it's going to be even fuller by seven o'clock tonight. Uh, The first thing I want to talk about is Milwaukee in the first quarter, minus one and a half because they have a chance to win their first NBA championship since 1973 on their home floor. And I can't imagine a scenario where a team would be more inclined to come out and just bamboozle the opposition in the first quarter. So that's what I'm riding with. Milwaukee, minus one and a half. And I kind of want Phoenix to win this game so we can at least get one more major sporting event uh, that leads us into the end of August. Maybe we get it, maybe we don't. The main point is everybody needs to go and make their bets tonight because it might be the last time we have until August 28th and we got Nebraska and Illinois, a great game to bet on in its own right. And we have our reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah because what the hell else are you going to do on a Tuesday night near the end of July, especially with nothing to bet on for at least another full month. And now a word from our favorite sponsor, Traeger Grills. Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. There are many roads to victory in professional sports. That's just a truth that has been shown throughout all of time. Now, the ways that teams win, uh, they kind of have ebbed and flowed and changed over the course of time. Sometimes the strategies, uh, they're there for longer, you know, 20 plus years. And this is the way that you win in the NFL or the NBA. And sometimes they're briefer, you know, it's a couple year span and then that's gone. And we have a new wisdom and a truth that, Uh, team strategy and structure and building adheres to, and that's the way that you win in that present moment. Uh, This is one of the main reasons why I'm always hesitant to engage with the, you can't win with this crowd. You can't win with this style. This is, you can't win uh, shooting three-pointers in the NBA. You can't win with high-flying passing attacks in football. Uh, You can't win with a, a lot of speed and skill in hockey. There's a lot of things that Uh, Just because they haven't been used to win in the past doesn't mean that they can't be used to win in the present or especially in the future. Uh, And I think the tendency is always to focus on what is winning in present day. Okay, that's the way that you should build your team moving forward. Uh, and, And I always kind of look at it differently because, again, the history of sports show different paths. And they show different roads. And they show that the best way to win and to build a team capable of winning is to project down the road and say what is something that is currently not being used in today's sport that we can hone in on and use to our advantage because people aren't utilizing that. Uh, I think about the world of football, my favorite sport to watch. 
And not too long ago, the common wisdom was you cannot win with high-flying passing offenses. Uh, And now, in present day, that's kind of the only way that you can win in a lot of people's minds, in college and in the NFL. Uh, And in time, you know, that's going to shift. And there'll be other ways, whether drastic change occurs or whether just minimal change or tweaks, that kind of stuff. There'll be different ways, and I think people's minds will open a little more and go, oh, this is also a way that you can win, you know? Two years ago, we have the Kansas City Chiefs win a Super Bowl with this exact kind of thing, an outrageous passing game built on a superstar quarterback and a superstar play caller, Pat Mahomes, Andy Reid. And they complement that with, you know, so-so rushing attack, so-so defense, whatever, take them or leave them. The main point is the foundation of them winning the Super Bowl Uh, beating the Niners that year in a close game was superstar quarterback, untether him, and and let him just rip the ball all over the yard. And this is part of this present era of football. The passing attack, that's one thing. Uh, You look around the league and that's really prominent. And the superstar quarterback. I think there's never been an era of football where teams are willing to bend over backwards to try and get a franchise quarterback because... I mean, it's the key position in professional football. And so you see teams trading draft picks out the wazoo to try and get up there. You see teams willing to trade on the open market or sign a player like Kirk Cousins in hopes that they are the superstar quarterback. You know, this is a stark contrast to past NFL history, especially the distant past, where common wisdom, defense wins championships. It's always been a big moniker within the world of football. Uh, And in the past, you know, a strong rushing game was also a part of that. Defense, ball control. Uh, You control the clock, the time of possession, and you're going to win a championship. That was common wisdom in the past. Uh, And now we think very differently from that. And the recent past of the NFL, and again in college, with the rise of teams like Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State, it's more catered to Passing is the most efficient manner in which to move the ball. So if we can build a passing attack that is awesome, and especially if that's on the shoulders of a quarterback who's the best player on the field, we're going to be really hard to stop. So I think just back to this most recent playoff year, and I think a lot of people would look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and say, oh, they must have adhered to the same strategy. Uh, we, they traded for the superstar quarterback, not traded for, they actually signed the superstar quarterback, Tom Brady. And uh, yeah, it's probably this high-flying passing offense that really carried the day for them. And and that's not necessarily true. That's not how it played out within the playoffs Um, because the Bucs adhered to a different team-building philosophy and really a different like path to victory, which was the strongest combination of lines in football. More of a retro approach. You build from the interior to the exterior. Uh, The defensive line and the offensive line, those are the most important foundational pieces of your team. You get those in place, and then a lot of people can find success if you're controlling the line of scrimmage. The Buccaneers, that was them. That really came to light within the playoffs. And Brady, he gets the pub, and some of that is well-deserved. You know, He's the consummate winner. Uh, He brings a lot of leadership to the table. But I think what was underplayed throughout the playoffs when the Buccaneers really rounded into their just unstoppable form as a football team is that the key to their team was this outstanding line play from both the offensive side and the defensive lines. Even within their last three games, they beat the Saints on the road, they beat the Packers on the road, then they beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. 
Um, that was the story. It was line play. You know, Brady, he throws for 200 yards in the Saints game and the Chiefs game. He throws for three interceptions in the Packers game. Not like your finest quarterbacking performances by any means. Uh, what really jumped out within those games is the team philosophy that Tampa chose to structure their football team upon. Physicality, um, ability to just maul you at the line of scrimmage on offense. Leonard Fournette somehow has a career resurgence because of that. Tom Brady, he's protected within the pocket. He's not getting flustered and sacked, so he has time to throw off a play action. And then on the defensive side of the ball, it's just attack, attack, attack. It's that front four of, you know, Ndamukong Sue, Vita Vea, Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett. The front four that was the story of the Super Bowl. Just an all-out assault on the Kansas City offensive line that was beset by injuries. Pat Mahomes running for his life. Um, But this is what won for Tampa Bay. It was, this team starts with the interior. And we go outwards from there. I know a lot of people, they're going to fawn over the fact that we had an acquisition of Antonio Brown and we have Mike Evans in place. And yeah, there's a lot of exterior talent on the team. But how they won was a very stark contrast to the Chiefs' style of approach. The Chiefs, it's built around superstar play caller, superstar quarterback, untether him, let him go. And the Bucks in the Super Bowl said, that's fine, but you can't do that if you have no time. And on the other side of the ball, your defense, which is not that great and you don't care about as much, we're just going to push the line of scrimmage forward, 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 forward. There's many paths to victory. And that's a great thing. That's Something that I want is a fan. It's sports at their very best. The variety that comes from different philosophies and execution and parody. Uh, the NFL has all those things. That's what I love about the NFL. And other sports, they incorporate these themes as well. You know, Friday's show was all about the Open. Major championship golf played over seas and how it's the best major in golf because it encourages thought, creativity, and really opens up a chance to win for the entire field. That parody aspect, the variety aspect. That stuff is awesome as a viewer to watch. It's why college football has been one of my favorite sports for the majority of my life because there's so many contrasts in styles. Uh, you look out across the expanse of college football and you just have that over and over. You know, you tune in on a Saturday and you go, I'm going to watch triple option Navy go run into the line over and over a fullback dive and then a pitch and then an end around reverse play against a high octane run and shoot team like SMU. Um, And you can flip the channel and you just see that over and over contrast in styles, watch Mississippi state and uh, Mike Leach's run and shoot, style of offense play against Georgia or Alabama or Tennessee or Florida or all these teams. It's just, there's difference everywhere. There's variety and you can win with all of those. If you just have the talent in place, that's something that I think the you can't win playing this style crowd always kind of pushes to the side or chooses to not acknowledge. And, and a side that I always think, yeah, if you have talent, you can win with almost any possible style. You just need the talent in place uh, in order to make that work. So the NBA, they've gone down the three-point rabbit hole over the past few years. And the prevailing wisdom is that, you know, this this kind of has to be a foundational piece to winning if you are an NBA team. And that is partially true. The math of the three-pointer, it 
is a big advantage that you were going to have over another team that if they didn't shoot threes, uh, it wouldn't be there for them. But, you know, in the past, as I've talked about a lot on the show, it was considered a fun style. Pace and space and spread it out and shoot threes, but not a winning style. Um, and then the Warriors ushered in a new era. And now it's considered the only style. Every team has to shoot a lot of three-pointers in order to win, which that replaces a lot of what was considered uh, foundational pieces to win in the past. The interior play of the 80s and 90s, dump it into a center on the block. You got Patrick Ewan jumping up and Hakeem Olajuwon and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and players like that. And then the era that Jordan spawned, uh, everything happens in the mid-range. And that, you know, that covers the 90s and the 2000s. And there's all sorts of knockoffs of that style of play. Uh, and we got Jordan and Kobe and Tracy McGrady and, and all these types of people who wanted to live within the mid-range. Um, but it circles back to what I love and the fact that variety is key. And I really love seeing teams incorporate stuff in the present but also accentuate that with either a vision to the future or kind of an ode to the past. And that's what we're seeing in this year's NBA Finals. There are many roads to victory. One of them, yes, is the three-point ball, and that is being embraced by every single team in the NBA. Look at my hometown, Utah Jazz. Look at the way the Rockets have built their team over the last few years. Uh, And just look out at any individual team within the NBA and compare them to any team in the NBA 10 years ago. Everybody has to incorporate that. Um, but there are other ways that you can win. Um, and there are two stories so far in the NBA Finals that I really want to hone in on when it comes to these many paths to victory. Uh, number one, the interior battle. Again, owed to the past. And number two, the war of the midrange. Again, another theme from the past. So we're going to start with a quote from Kurt Goldsberry of ESPN. The NBA is at a fascinating place. While shots 25 feet from the rim have never been so prominent and so vital to success, Antetokounmpo provides a powerful reminder that layups and dunks are still the best shots in the game. The 2010s saw the rise of an unprecedented jump-shooting dynasty in Golden State. But the biggest moments of these finals have happened above the rim and in the restricted area. Antetokounmpo has been there for both, reminding us that interior points still win and lose games in the process. End quote. So Giannis has been the story of the finals, as I've talked about many times. What's kind of cool about this particular subject is he's kind of blending the past and the present of basketball. The Bucks, they're a high-volume three-point shooting team. They've been that for the last few years. But their star player is not really that. He's not a good three-point shooter. He takes them sometimes, and he shouldn't. Where he lives and eats is this interior dominance on offense and on defense. As Goldsberry points out, it is very interesting to note that the two iconic plays of the finals so far are both interior players, plays and both stemming from Giannis, this blend of past and present. The block on DeAndre Ayton at the end of Game 4 that kind of saves the game for Milwaukee. Just an incredible feat on Giannis's part on the defensive side. And then in Game 5, the closeout offensive play. Bucks up one. Drew Holiday makes the steal. This incredible lob to Giannis, who's running down full speed, catches it, dunks, gets fouled by Paul. Both interior plays, one on defense, one on offense. And as much as the three-point shot has risen, it's also cool to see kind of this ode to the past. 
where the two most important plays, they're right there at the basket. The place that for all of time within basketball and within the NBA, uh, common wisdom has said, you kind of need to control this place to win. It's also uh, an ode to why Giannis is so enjoyable to watch because he represents a very different style of star than a lot of other players existing within the NBA. Again, variety is key for the viewer. You know, He's not like LeBron. He's not like Durant. He's not like Harden. He's not even like Shaq, the person from the past that he is most compared to. That's more tied into statistics and the way that he scores on the offensive side of the ball. Interior, interior, interior. Incredible volume, incredible efficiency, and his only historical comparison in those two fields is Shaquille O'Neal. However, the way that he does that is very, very different. But it boils down to the same concept. Control the interior on both ends. I want to read another quote from Kurt Goldsberry of ESPN when it comes to Giannis, the interior, and kind of this blend of past and present. Long before three-point shooting and perimeter ball handlers took over the NBA, the only surefire path to superstardom started and ended in the paint. Almost all of pro basketball's seminal superstars dominated the league with a simple recipe. Dunks, layups, blocks, and rebounds. They served up titles brought to you from the low block. That's what Antetokounmpo is cooking up right now. It's tried and true. It's a throwback to old school hoops, but he's doing it in a 21st century way. He's not a back-to-the-basket post-up machine. There are no skyhooks. His interior buckets often come off of slashing drives, euro steps, transition opportunities, putbacks, or yes, lobs from teammates. End quote. So that's the interior side of things. Again, kind of a, a reminder that as much as we want to fall in love with three-pointers, there's always other things that come into play in basketball. And the other thing that I want to talk about that, that factors into this particular equation, especially in these NBA Finals, is the mid-range. Uh, another path to victory, as we've seen in the past. Again, 90s, 2000s, Jordan and Kobe both come to mind as two players who really leaned upon that heavily as a foundational piece of their game and won a lot of titles doing so. And this finals has kind of been a resurgence of that particular shot because of three players, uh, Devin Booker and Chris Paul on the Phoenix side and Chris Middleton on the Milwaukee side. Three fantastic mid-range shooters who rely heavily upon that as a foundational, foundational piece of their offensive arsenal. Uh, and a lot of times, as history has shown us, that's what's available within these tight, really high-intensity defensive possessions of the playoffs. So what makes this shot, as much as analytic people will get down on the people who are going to shoot 40% from mid-range, a lot of times this is what makes this shot valuable within playoff crunch time possessions because that's the space that exists. The defense sells out to wall off the paint and sells out in present day to wall off the three-point line, and so now you're getting into the mid-range. Uh, and if you have that as a high-efficiency shot in your own arsenal, that's very valuable. You look in the series and you go, two of the biggest shots of Game 4, that's Chris Middleton. Uh, the jumper that ties it with under two minutes to go and the jumper that goes ahead 30, 40 seconds later. In Game 5, it's the same thing from him. The jumpers that he hits down the stretch, the crazy uh, fall down, Jay Crowder's underneath his foot, he cans the shot and gets fouled. We've seen 
mid-range play an enormous role so far in this series. Devin Booker has done that time and again, especially the last two games when he's scoring 40-plus points. Um, And uh, I want to say this real quickly on behalf of the analytics community because I think this concept always gets misrepresented where people say analytics people, they say that you should never shoot mid-range, and that's not necessarily true. They always say don't shoot inefficient mid-range. But if you're a player like Booker or Middleton or Chris Paul, um, mid-range shots aren't bad if you shoot them at a a really efficient clip. Chris Paul has built his entire career off of that entire idea. He's been one of the very best mid-range shooters in the NBA over the past quarter century. So when it comes back to just the theme of this episode and what I'm talking about when it says, how do you identify uh, trends moving forward? How do you incorporate pieces of the past into the present and all work together to find these many paths to victory, you know, maybe there's a slight shift on the horizon when it comes to what is acceptable within the NBA and how you can build a winning team. I want to read a couple quotes that come from uh, The Athletic and a joint piece from Marcus Thompson and Seth Partnow. This is the first time in the last 20 years mid-range attempts have risen round by round in the playoffs. The three-point shot has become the NBA's primary weapon. And the point of the game will always include a desire to get as close to the basket as possible, which is why big men have always been coveted. But in that space, between the trees and the triples, is where buckets have always grown. Then they go on to say, The mid-range has made a comeback, and something about the game feels more whole because of it. Scoring from all three levels adds to the strategy of the game while sprinkling some of that essence on the product. And watching these bucket getters operate in their sweet spots weaving and slicing around and past defenders before rising up, connects the modern game refreshingly with its history. A beautiful element of basketball has been returned to its premier display, the NBA Finals, end quote. So adds to the strategy of the game. I really like that line, and it speaks to the variety that I love. It speaks to incorporating past into present. Again, a thing that I love. It speaks to... Let's explore the many possible ways that we can find to win a basketball game in 2021. You know, I don't want to sit here as a viewer and watch the same style of players run the same style of offense in any sport. But right now in the NBA Finals, I don't want to watch that. You know, I don't want to watch everybody play uh, two years ago Houston Rockets basketball, where you just sit there and James Harden isos and you shoot 53s a game, and if most of them go in, you win. If most of them don't, then you lose. It's not that enjoyable. That's why I like unique approaches, uh, philosophies, and unique players. Um, and why I'll always be hesitant to say that any of these different things can't win. Because I think in the right setting, with the right breaks, all that kind of stuff, that if you have talent, you can win with pretty much anything. Um, that's why the MVP of the league this year, Nikola Jokic, I have really gotten into his game over the course of this season. Because he doesn't fit the traditional mold of a big man. These trees of the 80s and 70s and and even 90s. um, But the dude can ball out. Fantastic passer. He can operate from any of the three levels. He scores efficiently from all of them. He's kind of the fulcrum of an offense in a way that's very different from what we expect from a big man (laughs) over the course of the history of the NBA. Uh, it's why Trey Young's superstar rise in the playoffs was also so cool because he doesn't fit the mold of a traditional point guard. Um, 
And I think a lot of people, and I'll include myself in that mix, were very hesitant to say that you could win with that dude as the centerpiece of your offense. And I think these playoffs were an eye-opener for me in particular because I think I don't think that moving forward. Um, I think that the style of play and his skill set, it really actually blends well. And it made sense how you can win with him as the fulcrum of your offense in a playoff setting. Um, and these vinyl, or these finals, the culmination of the playoffs themselves, they speak to this variety. Uh, they speak to this uniqueness because it's all across the board, whether in approach or philosophy or in individual players. Chris Paul, he's the most traditional point guard in a league that doesn't really have traditional point guards anymore. It's just a league that's filled with these combo hybrid guards, uh, the scorers, and the passers, but more catered towards the scoring, like a Trey Young, like a Donovan Mitchell, players of that ilk. And Chris Paul, he's an ode to the throwback point guard, the Isaiah Thomas, that style. Um, Giannis, as I spoke about before, the non-traditional big uh, in a league that's trending smaller by the day. He's getting all of the things that bigs of the past used to get in an efficient manner that compares to Shaq, but the way he's doing it, very, very, very different. The philosophy is the same. Control the interior on both ends. The way he's doing it, it's not the same. Blend of past and present. Um, Devin Booker, you know, the three-level scorer in a league that wants to kind of push aside or forget one of those three levels, the mid-range. And Booker, he's incorporating all of that into his game. And within these finals, the mid-range has been a really big part of how he has found success. So... We go back to the NBA Finals, and a lot of people are harping on the fact that, yeah, these aren't the two best teams in the NBA this year, which is, yeah, I mean, that's true. If everybody was healthy, I don't think these are the two best teams. But this is who's left standing at the end of this war of attrition, at the end of just this very strange, bizarre year within the NBA. And from a viewership standpoint, the uniqueness and the variety and talent and approach, it makes for very compelling basketball on the end of someone like me, the viewer. Want to read one more quote from The Athletic? Again, the joint piece from Marcus Thompson and Seth Partnow. Stars take star shots and mid-range pull-ups off the dribble from spots that have become automatic are star shots. While a few stars have moved their star shots out much deeper, the tried remains in the middle. The proliferation of the three-pointer has enabled this return of sorts to the origins. While rim protection has and always will be a priority, the extension of the front line of defenses trying to take away the three leaves an area for basketball chefs to cook. End quote. So game six tonight, we know uh, the Bucks have a chance to win. If not, we go to game seven on Thursday. And one of these teams is going to win an NBA championship by leaning on the remnants of the NBA's past and combining them with the present. Three-point shooting, that is present. Every team has it. Uh, and then you incorporate elements of the past. For the Suns, that's more the mid-range. For the Bucks, it's the mid-range, and, and it's more the interior, spearheaded by Giannis. Um, everybody in today's NBA shoots threes. We know this, but the big question that every team has to ask itself is what else can we rely on? And that's always a big question within the playoffs. When our bread and butter isn't working, and again, for the vast majority of teams, that's the three-point shot, what can we rely on to manufacture buckets or to get stops on the other end and turn it into a grand out affair? That's the question that you always have to try and solve if you're a championship contender. So Milwaukee, 
there to win the championship, you know, it comes to interior domination on the back of Giannis. Comes to comfortability in the mid-range from Chris Middleton. On the Phoenix end, if they're going to win, comes from the extension of, of opposing defenses from the basket to beyond the arc. With Booker and Paul, that pick-and-roll game, we're going to stress you all the way out to 30 feet. And then we eat within that open space that exists now because the defense has to sell out to stop the two most valuable areas in their mind, the paint and the three-point line. So all this stuff is awesome um, in its variety and its uniqueness. And it's a blend of past and present. And it's also kind of a a tiny little window into the future. That even in a three-point-based world, there are many roads to victory. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This show is produced by Weston Tanner and can be consumed in a variety of ways. You can download it as a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the platform of your choice. You can also view it in video form via the Beehive TV app, which can be downloaded on Apple, Google, Roku, and Amazon Fire. For more information, go to noballer.com.